0: hello and welcome to the complexion podcast where we get under the skin of what it feels like to be non-white by hearing voices that we traditionally don't that of everyday extraordinary ordinary non-white women now it's important to say that the term non-white is used deliberately here to frame and give context to these women's experiences and voices and it isn't used as a label or definition for their complexion race or ethnicity My name is Sakina Ballard. I'm a Brown woman and mother, and I'm also a trauma-informed therapeutic coach and mentor. And I specialize in the perinatal period. This podcast was born out of conversations and it's here to open up more important conversations. So please come and leave your reflections in a review. Plus do give it a like and a subscribe too. Your support and voice is invaluable. Each one of the guests shares aspects of a precious part of our human experience, their personal story. And it's a privilege to be able to share this with you. So thank you for being here and being a part of the conversation. We hope you enjoy it and we hope you find it inspiring and enlightening too. Hi and welcome back to another episode of the Complexion Podcast, where we get under the skin of what it feels to be non-white. And my guest today is Serena. I have had the pleasure of meeting Serena through work and then seeing the incredible work she does in the maternity space and actually the work she does as a woman wearing the various hats that many of us women do. So Serena, welcome.
1: Thank you, it's a real pleasure to be here. Um, So I'm Serena, Serena Jessie Darson. Uh, I'm a mum of one, um, five-year-old Always go with the mum first, despite all the different hats that we say we wear. Always go with the mum first. And yes, I, I, I know uh, I met you, Sakina, through the Maternity Voices Partnership, and I'm chair of our local one, as well as um, operations manager at a national health charity. So yeah, busy woman. Um, and my kind of heritage be worth mentioning, I guess, is that my mum is Malay and my dad is Singaporean Indian, but I was born here. Um, and live not too far from where I was born in Luton now. Serena, it's so
0: amazing to have you coming on and talking about your experiences um, and I guess I'd like to open up, um, as I do, with every person which is to ask you how you would describe your complexion.
1: My complexion, well, I would say that it is a dark brown Um, Not too dissimilar to the cup of tea that I'm drinking. Um, Yes, so it's lighter than my dad, lighter than my brother, darker than my mum. So that's how I would describe my complexion.
0: Thank you. That's so interesting. And so, you know, one of the things that comes up a lot in the conversations is actually the theme around. Oh, the complexion being somewhere on the scale between being darker and lighter and how these are quite sort of polarised ideas and somewhere we sit on the scale. And, you know, thinking about that, I think one of the most defining things when we're talking about kind of uh, our complexion is often as the way it's been defined is that it's not white. You know, we're mm. talking about ourselves on a scale where we're not white. And I guess, it's really, for me, interesting to hear. When did you first notice that you weren't white?
1: I think it was certainly a lower school. And it was actually quite a formative experience. And um, it actually formed uh, the basis of one of my brother's stand-up routines, um, because it is quite comedic, I guess, in that there was a girl. I was at lower school. Um, we, we have the three-school system here, so lower school it's like year years one to four and um a girl called me called me a packy and I just remember saying no no you're you're one you know in the way that you know someone says an insult to you like well no you are you're fat no you're fat whatever um so I said she was like no no you're a packy and I was like okay well what what is one and she was like you know I don't know but my dad says you are and so I went to the headmistress or the teacher who and I said, look, you know, Lucy called me this, what is that? She obviously went, all the colour drained out of her face, <laughs> went to the headmistress. And I, I, and I vividly remember sitting sitting in with the headmistress. She was saying, you know, where are your family from? I find it all so interesting. I was like, oh, I don't know why we're having this conversation. I was so young. And um, the next day, we had an assembly, and my class had to go up the front and sit on the stage. And I, and this is so ingrained in my memory. And they said, you know, look to the person to the right, to the, to the, to your right. <laughs> look to the person to your left. You know, they may be white, they may be brown, they may be black, but we're all the same. And at that moment, I looked around and I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm a different colour to literally everybody in this school. <laughs> so that's, I think that's the... That is the first time I realised that I was a different colour and that I was the colour that I was and that whiteness was normal, the norm in our school. Um, and it really sticks firmly in my memory.
0: That's such, an, a, such a sort of pivotal moment because there's so much involved in that event, wasn't there? There was this initial mm. kind of peer act where there was this sort of innocence and ignorance meeting each other and you know what is that well I don't know you know and such a profound word you know it's, a, it's actually a really difficult word I find still to say because I've had experiences yeah. of being called that as well and then of course to then notice that it's it's marked by the fact that people say well we're all the same and you look around and you go, well actually now we're not I am actually different Mm. and pointing out that we're all the same I've noticed I'm different I think (laughs) it must be quite a profound moment because there's so many mixed messages in that as well aren't there Mm. really interested me that the term you used which is you know that the norm is white and did you grow up it sounds like possibly in an area where you know, there wasn't a lot of diversity in terms of ethnicity,
1: culture, or or was there? Yeah, it was, it was very. Monocultural. It was very white. So I come from a small town called Dunstable, literally right next door to Luton, which is which is very diverse. So you know, just a a couple of miles down the road, you have a huge Afro Caribbean community. You have a huge Asian uh, kind of Bangladeshi and Pakistani community, and then we were in this incredibly white, conservative town. And so my um, you know, in my lower school, there was. There was one other, there was a Chinese boy and that was it. And then there was me. And so out of, you know, the dozens um, going into hundreds of children, it was, yeah, really just, just us. And then in my street, we were the only only non-white family in the neighbourhood, I would say. I cannot think of anyone in, yeah, I th- no, that's it. Yeah, no one in my, in my whole neighbourhood area was was anything other than white so yeah really really white (laughs) background
0: yeah and so interesting when you you know when you sort of describe that visual of you know literally down the road it was really different but then you're in this space where you're in a totally different demographic space and a different kind of neighborhood how did you find the sense of belonging did you did you how did you find a sense of belonging did you find that sense of belonging
1: um I always found it really hard that that sense of belonging, um, you know, it's OK when you're younger, but as you get older, I think it's much more difficult. And I think that it might have been easier if my parents were very were part of a community of their own culture here. But they weren't. Um, not so much. Um, uh, they, they had friends. I mean, <laughs> I guess the thing that, re- that, that really sticks out is growing up just being aware that all the black brown Asian people were coming to our house in the middle of this very white suburban area so all my you know because my parents both worked for the NHS um, my dad left after a while but so you know there was a huge uh, number of people from um, the former colonies working for the NHS So we all found each other and um, so I felt I belonged with them you know with my aunt, aunties and uncles who weren't my genetic aunties and uncles but whether it's you know um the the guy from Guyana or the the Chinese woman who who was kind to my mum when she joined the hospital stuff like that's where I felt I belonged but I also had a huge part of me that was in the white British culture all of my friends at school were obviously white um and their families Many of them were very kind to me and, you know, go over to play with them. And I grew up with the white culture, white pop culture, you know, the music I liked, the books I read, all of it. So, but obviously I didn't really truly belong there. So, yeah, it's it's a bit divided. It's like having um, a foot in two different worlds, really, um, growing up here.
0: Yeah, I really sort of, I, I can really empathise with that but from, you know, my own experience as one. Well, I think probably a, a lot of people who have sort of, you know, perhaps been second generation or even people who've moved to the UK as first generation, but having to assimilate to a new identity, create literally an identity, a sense of belonging and, and roots somewhere where there isn't quite that sort of ground where you can go these this is where I'm going to put my roots, but I was really struck by what you were saying in terms of you know the the NHS and the sort of the all the people from the sort of ex colonies coming together and creating their own sense of community. I just found that really profound and such a such a big institution that's so you know some, symbolic
1: within British culture as well it is i'm and I'm just I'm still to this day, like hugely touched by it, I guess, because like, like I'll go visit my mum and the the people, you know, her former colleagues will come over and the people who come over, they may be Mexican, they may be Chinese, they may be Asian, they may be Irish, but like the people that she welcomes into her house are are from all over the place just through meeting them through the NHS, um, which is amazing, I think. and, and you know, it came out a few months ago that I think it was the government who did that campaign about thank thank the NHS. And it was, you know, all very white doctors and nurses and healthcare professionals. And that that isn't my experience of the NHS at all, because, you know, that, that's the people I grew up around were, you know, varying shades of colour and languages and everything. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and in that sense, it really is a a space that represents, I think, a lot of a uh, British history coming into the present. Because actually, you know, it is. A, I think it is a very diverse workplace, and there've been, you know, we know that nurses are recruited from parts of the world. Doctors are actually actively recruited and mm. and brought here to the UK to work. I I'm really interested to hear as well when you describe that story about your experience of that first time you realised you were white and you know being in that sort of assembly and actually having that event where you were called a packy. um and I hope you don't mind me using that word <laughs> reflecting that back um but I'm quite interested to hear if your parents heard about it and what their response was
1: to it I was as I was telling you I was thinking did I tell my parents? And I don't think I did. I don't think I did. I just think it was like, okay, so this is normal. And I feel, I'm going to say I'm lucky here. I feel quite lucky growing up when I did. So I was born beginning of the eighties and my brother was five years before me. And it seems that just in that five years time, he had a very different experience to me. Um, And he has much darker skin than I do. Um, which is worth noting, I think. And he experienced a lot more racial bullying than I ever did, and partly maybe because he's a boy as well. So um, and, and I know obviously my parents were aware of that. And one of the stories that sticks in my head is my dad being made um to go to this boy's house because this boy had sent something to my brother, and there was a fight, and it was obviously my brother's fault, it turned out. Well that that was the, the story that came home was that my brother had to go apologize. So my dad took him and my dad had to, my dad was quite a short Asian man had to stand there and take tirade of racist abuse from this guy, this boy's father. And afterwards my dad was just like, you know, this is what we have to do to my, to my brother. Like this is what we have to do. We just have to part with it. But you weren't wrong, but we have to just up with it. And so I feel like that, just those five years older than me, he had quite a different experience to me because um, that really stuck in my memory as a, a as a time when he he yeah really used to get it quite regularly I think.
0: And that sounds really um, you know even hearing that story and thinking about myself as a parent having to having to deal with a situation like that you know I think the natural sort of thing we want to do as parents is keep our children safe we want to sort of protect them and equip them for the world and I was really struck by what you said there that your I was like actually this this is what we have to take and that's you know that heartbreaking sense of resignation that actually sort of preparing your children for a world where they are going to meet abuse Mm. and and they are going to have to face these, these sort of aspects of other people's judgments on them.
1: Absolutely. And I think that, um, so, with, with, so with the recent kind of resurgence of um, Black Lives Matter and everything that's happened over the past few months, and people are now talking to their children about racism and race for the first time, and that hasn't really been a privilege afforded to, to parents of, of, of colour who have dark-skinned children, because... We, we need to prepare them for what's coming. And in, in a way that isn't scary, maybe, you know, we don't want them to be scared, but we need to be realistic. And I don't want that first time that he, he's, he's, he's bullied or whatever, or called a name. I want him to be able to talk to me or talk to a teacher. And um, I mean, it's worth, um, we were talking just before the podcast started recording about what happened to my son at his school last week a few weeks ago um, for Black History Month where his teacher actually um, for part of Black History Month said, you know, point to the black children point to the brown children point to the brownie white children and you know, your, your five-year-old tells you something and you think, am I really understanding it? But it turns out that, that is what happened and um, luckily he was so confident he said that he was proud he felt proud to be pointed at. he, he really did because he said I'm proud to be brown and I'm proud to be white and proud to be both And that comes from, you know, talking to him constantly about race, um, talking to him about where my family are from, about Malaysia and how Malaysia used to be run by the white people and things like that. And if I hadn't have done that, because my parents never did that, if I hadn't have done that, um, it might have come as a bit more of a surprise to him and caught him a bit on the back foot and maybe got him a bit upset. But, you know, I am really proud that, he was, he was almost pleased to be point to that. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: And that's, I, that's such a mark, I think, of your, your parenting as well, and, and, and really healing in so many ways. And that's, you know, that sent me um, something that's reflected in, in many stories, is the sense of healing that we get to give our children at this stage, that actually I don't think was a luxury afforded to our parents because they were in much more survival mode and they were just trying to get us onto first base, you
1: know? Absolutely.
0: Uh, Especially if they were immigrants to the UK. And I was thinking about then yourself as a child and I was interested to think, the thoughts that came to my mind were, how did you feel as a child about your... was it something you were proud of or something that you actually you would have
1: changed oh I would have changed it I would have I would have done anything to change it and you know I think back we talk about parenting and the differences in parenting I would draw you you would be asked to draw people you'd be asked to draw yourself right and I at school you'd be draw a self-portrait always peach a peach colored girl because that's that's like what's expected almost, and it was never pointed out to me. Um, my son the other day was drawing pirates, and he drew a black pirate and a brown pirate, and I was like, "Oh my god!" You know, it was actually like super emotional. This was months ago, but I, I cherish that 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 he doesn't go to the default peach crown. But I, I did, you know, I I would, and I think I think the thing that made me kind of dislike my skin so much, being around so, so many just purely white people, purely white people, my peers were purely white, was that I never knew if someone didn't like me or I wasn't invited to play or I wasn't part of the group or something, I never knew is it me or is it is it my skin? Like there's always there's always this doubting that you're different and is it and and it just amplifies those times when you're not when you pick glass at PE or whatever, you know, those times that every kid goes to you have this nagging thing like is it because is it because of my color um and that that really that kind of almost paranoia and it might have been justified paranoia because yeah undoubtedly there were children whose parents were saying things or that the children themselves thought things um but uh, yeah i would have and i would have almost uh, and today, I still feel so British, and I think I kind of flew under the radar a lot of the times and forgot myself the color of my skin, and others would forget and i I remember sitting as much older as maybe twelve sitting with a, a boy on his um uh his um front drive talking about uncle Ben his uncle Ben, and I said, "Oh, like you know like the rice, and he went, "Oh yeah, but my uncle Ben isn't a and he said then word and then he was like, "Oh, sorry, I shouldn't have said that in front of you and and like it's almost like And this is one of countless examples where people went, I just forgot. I forgot that you were brown. Um, And that kind of defines that kind of after childhood, as I grew up, assimilation, I assimilated so well that people would forget that I was brown and I would until something happens and then it's awkward.
0: Well, that is so, I, I cannot tell you hearing you say that how um how important i think that is and i i'm so grateful for you for sharing that it really as you were talking i was really thinking about how is it possible we can forget our our boundary that we live in you know our skin being a kind of physical boundary between whatever is housed within and the outside world um and and i know that when you were speaking i absolutely had forgotten the colour of my skin for many years because I had assimilated and I had taken on an identity and, you know, a lot of my friends were in a very clear white demographic and I had probably done everything I could to not be anything but white. But clearly I wasn't white, but somehow if I didn't think about it, it didn't matter. Mm. Almost like a total disassociation from my skin, you know. Um, And I... And I'm really curious as to what happens within when that happens. You know, is there a level in a way of disconnect? And it it brings me back, I guess, to thinking about the very point you made at the beginning, near the beginning, where you said maybe it would have been easier if we had a community, if my parents were part of the community. And how much actually maybe being part of the community where there is, you know, whether perhaps others that physically look like us or, or, or hold memories of, you know, of our roots, that
1: makes it acceptable to be non-white. Absolutely. I think it would have been great to have a, almost like a safe, safe space and as I grew up, I did manage to make friends who weren't white. And I think about um, an Asian friend, uh, he, he, he was, you know, my best friend for years. And he was Indian and his mum would make amazing curries and he had a big family, or most who were here in this country. And so I, and I would always be jealous that, though our skin colours were similar and although our ethnic origin, you know, he was Indian like my father was ethnically Indian, he he had such a different lifestyle to me. He he also had one foot in the, the white British world. We were really we met through our our music, through punk actually, and so and putting on gigs, and so we were like the two weird brown punks. Um, it was yeah, um, but so he had his foot firmly in in the British side, but then also like he would he would you know throw in Tamil words and like eat with his hands unashamedly eat with his hands, which As a 16-year-old, that totally blew my mind because this is I was so ashamed of the bits of culture that we had, to the point where I had this book, um, where it was like it's like a journal, I guess, but with prompts. So one of the things I had to write is like your top 10 favorite foods in it. And for number one, I put roti and I as soon as the words left that pen I felt this intense burning shame rise up in me and I destroyed that page you know I ripped it out and this was like my diary now, like maybe my best friend would have seen it and she would have been fine but like no one was gonna see it but the minute I saw those words out there I was like I can't believe I've written that, you know, that I'm almost admitting to loving that, that part of the culture that I've been made to feel ashamed of. So there were, the, yeah, these really weird feelings of, of shame. But also, I, I just remember being in, entirely jealous of my, my Indian friend, that he was so happy with his culture and proud of it and um, part of that community. And I, I just didn't have that
0: sense a real sense of the sort of drifting that can happen when we're not rooted in in, in 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 where our roots may be where our heritage maybe lies I'm really interested to hear following on from that how now as an adult as a mother yourself how do you feel about your complexion
1: now I I still forget about it sometimes <laughs> regularly I forget about it and I, I catch myself in the mirror sometimes and I, I think gosh I it sounds crazy but I think gosh I am brown you know and in my head if you had told me look here's 50 crayons pick the pick the shade you think you are without looking at a photo looking in the mirror I would have chosen a really really pale brown but I'm not actually that pale brown I'm really not when I look in the mirror I'm I'm actually quite dark brown and like I said, not as dark as my brother, not as dark as my, my dad, but I am still brown and I forget that. And when I realise it, because I've now got to a point where I've surrounded myself with strong black and brown women in particular and learning about their cultures, and I've learned much more about my mum's culture and my father's culture, and, I, I, yeah, I'm incredibly proud of my skin now, really proud, and that's what I convey to my son. And my son is incredibly pale compared to me. (laughs) Um, And the thing that gives him away is his dark hair. So like, you know, the Asian kind of hairy back or whatever. And like, I love it. And when he was little and I was bathing him, part of me was like, oh kids are going to see that when he's older and they're going to bully him for it and I thought why why go there why does that have to be my first thought because I I love his airy shoulders I think they're gorgeous <laughs> so like, this is funny really but yeah I I am super proud now and it's, it's been a long journey to get there I think
0: I think these are long journeys aren't they and and we are really reflecting the times we live in as well and we're constantly having to work through our stuff, the stuff that we've inherited and actually the stuff we want to pass on as our legacy as well. You know, Mm. it's a real sort of integration of it all. And I think, you know, something that's echoed often and I feel it's been echoed hearing you speak, I feel that echo in myself is that when you have perhaps been uprooted to a certain degree, there is a, a sense of drifting and so you have to really create whatever identity you're going to have and you have to feel comfortable to own it, you know, and then be willing to pass it on, you know, and the real sense of being uprooted. I'd like to sort of finish in a way with, with a reflection, uh, thinking of you describing, you know, your adult self now and, and how, you know, in all your beauty and all your radiance and owning that and, and living within that, living within your complexion for that being where you are now and thinking back to that young girl at school who was you know um looking around and noticing she was different if your adults are now could give her a message or tell her something what would it be
1: i i would say to her you know don't be ashamed find out more don't switch off when you're when your family are talking in malay don't 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 be ashamed that your house smells like curry because in 30 years' time, everyone's going to be asking you how to make curry and people are going to be making money of how to make your curry. So just don't be ashamed and be proud of who it is because, yeah, people are going to want to to adopt a lot of these things and make money of it when you're older. So, yeah, you don't realise what you've got. Be, Be proud of it.
0: Well, I think that's such a gorgeous message, you know. It's often are the places that we find the most challenging that actually are probably sometimes the places that are our greatest strength as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. I agree. Thank
0: you so much. Thank you, thank you for sharing your journey, your story, and for for being you in, in all of your radiance. Thank you very much.
1: Oh, thank you. I've really enjoyed it.
0: I want to say a massive thank you to my guest for sharing their voice and stories so authentically. And a massive thank you to you for being here and a part of this conversation. Our stories and voices are an important part of who we are and collectively make up our human experience, your voice included. So please come and share your takeaways and reflections from the podcast. Plus, give it a like and a subscribe too if you'd like to. You can find more ways to explore women's voices and your own voice over on the website, zakinaballard.com. But for now, thank you for listening today and I look forward to the next conversation with you soon.